0: Hi, and welcome to AlderPod, the Alder's Gate Cycle Podcast. Today's episode is number 31, chapter 28 of the Alder's Gate, As It Goes, and chapter 29, Fire and Rain. It was late in the day, and still the oak had not struck. Everyone was anxious. Cora had met with Aunt C, Ez, and Jem to coordinate the infirmary, which would still remain in the parlor, where there was quick access to water in the kitchens and on the first level facing the main drive. She had just finished tending to some of the still-wounded men and gone through counting the bandages and linens they had on hand when she decided a breath of fresh air would do her well. The stench of the place made her a bit dizzy. She passed through the central courtyard, noting that the water in the fountain had stopped, The head of the cherub in the center had long since lost its head, but until that day water had still been bubbling from its neck. Ez was behind her, and pulled her to the side as a knight rushed by on horseback. "'Stop them!' he shouted, pointing to the north gate. Cora turned around and caught sight of about fifty mounted... "'Women?' asked Ez. They had approached from the north, led in by the scouts, and were being ushered in by Gawain of Fenley himself." "'Oh, hush!' said the giant of a knight. "'That's no way to treat our allies in battle, now, is it? "'I present to you Salvia and her remarkable retinue.'" The woman on the white horse at the front of the posse looked as if she'd spent her entire life out of the sun, pampered and kept from danger. Her uniform, if that's what it could be called, was stitched out of remarkably expensive silk and pinned with gold and silver buttons. There was a thumb-sized garnet in her wide-brimmed hat, swathed in a long white sash. Behind her were many women of every shape and description, and each attired like their mistress—many, nearly as beautiful. "'How in the world?' asked Cora. "'Cortisans,' replied a familiar voice to her left. It was Lark Starling, limping slightly on her wounded leg and grimacing through it. Cora felt a little sick, wishing that her abilities could have truly healed Lark, rather than keeping her in pain. "'Of the highest degree, every one of them is barren as me.' "'But why are they here?' asked Cora, watching as the women passed on their horses. She counted a total of sixty-three women and fifteen men, most of whom looked like herdsmen and cowboys. A few moments passed and another sixty men, plenty as young as Mesmer, came through with carts and wagons laden with food, weapons, and other goods. We'll find out, said Lark, and she beckoned Cora forward. They meandered their way through the growing crowd, many of the knights seemed to know the women by name and were helping them down off their horses. The smells of the ranch would have been mostly a combination of dung and sweat mingled with their perfume and powder. There were cheers, and some applause even. "'My girls may not be the best hand-to-hand,' Salvia was saying, as Gowan lifted her effortlessly down off her horse and placed her on the dusty ground. "'But you can't ask for better sharpshooters. We train them from the youngest of ages, using the apples in our orchards as targets. Of course,' It means we have to be extra careful during cider season. Laughter. God's laughter. Cora didn't think she'd hear any that day. Gowan kissed Salvia on the cheeks, but Cora could tell by their exchanged glances that more had once passed between them. Hard to look at him, said Lark, and Cora turned to look at her. Lark was a few years older, perhaps, and though Cora was glad to have helped her, she found conversation difficult. What do you mean? asked Cora. "'If you look at most of their wrist,' said Lark, "'pulling up her sleeve to indicate the alder leaf there, "'marking her as alder-class, "'you'll see the same thing as on ours. "'I'm one breath removed from them. "'It was only, well, only through a special kindness "'that I ended up here and not there.' "'Cora squirmed, remembering an alder-class girl "'she had known growing up in Val named Marinia. "'She was supposed to be married off, "'but something had gone wrong after one year of marriage, "'and Marinia returned to town for a few days.' They were shouting heard from their house, and then Marinia had come to visit Cora one last time. She told her she was being sent away to a special boarding school for girls, but now that Cora thought about it, "'Plenty of fathers sell their daughters out, you know, on trial, to see if they can conceive. "'Round these parts, it's getting more and more common that they don't. "'If they do, the marriage goes on ahead. "'If they don't, well, it ain't a terrible fate. "'Not the worst I can think of,' said Lark, sighing lightly." "'Makes you wonder, though, don't it?' "'Wonder about what?' asked Cora. "'About your future,' Lark said, turning to meet Cora's gaze. "'I mean, you don't know if you can have children yet, do you?' "'Of course not,' Cora flushed with embarrassment. "'How could Lark even think it?' "'The page shrugged in response. "'Well, either way you'll find out, I suppose. "'If we get out of here alive, that is.' "'She smiled, if a little distantly, adding, "'And if we do get out of here,' I hope we get to know each other a little better. You saved my life twice in the span of about two ticks, so I owe you. But I've got to get back. "'It was two turns later when Emery Roy heard the bell ring. "'The fight had begun. "'The forces of the Order of the Oak had moved forward, "'bolstered by the heart. "'Now was the time to try. "'He had been arranging his instruments. "'Most of them, save the fiddle, were still in playable condition, "'and a footlocker Lady C. had found for him. "'The strings were tied, tightened, covered. "'The wood was waxed and polished. "'He smelled of beeswax and lemon now.' And though he was cleaner than he had been in weeks, the routine always left his hands feeling dusty, even if he washed them right after. Likely, from the days when he lifted Dunley, and was often disciplined for sour notes by being sent to the antiques collection and polishing the ancient instruments there. He had just closed the footlocker when the hair on the back of his neck stood up. He smelled something, too, beside the polish and the wax. It was like burnt air, acidic almost." going to the window of the room he'd been staying in, one of the guest rooms that had been intended for grandchildren judging by the decor. He squinted across the lawn to see scrambling knights and pages, and a handful of servants motioning to one another and pointing over the crest of the hill. So it starts, he thought. And he, for once, he was thankful nothing answered. Emory had been given instructions, and he would follow them to the letter. Redmond had been much kinder to him since he'd spoken with Cora, and— Emory tried harder at his lessons. Nothing much had come out of it other than sweat and not a few choked-back tears, but Emory promised he would try. And, as Renman suggested, the asp might think more of Emory should he act the part of the speaker. That's where the cape came in. Emory scrutinized it again, tilting his head in the dim hopes that the garish colors and strange symbols embroidered into the material would be somehow less offensive to his eyes. It was not, she had said, anything more than a very expensive Ardesian cape given to her husband on the occasion of their marriage, but it certainly had an air of importance. Before the cape, though, was the suit. Emery had last worn a true suit, complete with waistcoat and undershirt, before he had been admitted to Dunlea, and he found the material constricting and uncomfortably itchy. Wool, likely. Pilled slightly, but a handsome suit. Jem had helped tailor it. "'It was darkest gray, and the waistcoat was herringbone gold and green, "'much more elaborate than anything he would have chosen "'had he been allowed to make such a decision. "'This had all been in C.'s hands. "'A silk tie, a double-breasted jacket, "'and over everything the embroidered cape. "'It had two layers to it, like some of the dusters he'd seen, "'so the portion at the top covered his shoulders and forearms, "'while the underlayer went down almost to his feet. "'He had been allowed his old boots, at least. "'No use going to your death with aching toes from shoes that didn't fit right.' When he was done dressing, he looked in the mirror, amazed. Sure, his face was sunken and his eyes looked three inches deep, but the way the yellow on his waistcoat picked up the flax of his hair, how the crimson cape made it appear his face was flushed. Why? When he put the black hat on top of the whole thing, he felt a bit transformed. I have no idea if this is what a speaker is supposed to look like, he thought, but it's quite the improvement over the pile of rags I came in with. He had the Derringer still and stuffed it into his boot. A knife, too. Then, a long, ebony and ivory-handled rifle Ez had found for him. The sib had said its proportions were perfect for one of Emery's stature, and at first the bard had taken Heia's comment as jest. But when he took the sib in the eyes, he saw that Ez was indeed as honest as pie, as they say and more. Haya only wanted Emery to be able to protect himself. If Renman was right, though, he wouldn't need a gun. And if Renman was wrong... "'death was coming sooner than they all thought. Emory sighed, going to the door "'and fiddling with the sticky handle. "'He didn't feel so much like dying anymore, "'but he couldn't bear the thought "'that Cora would be going to her death. "'He tried to talk to Renman, "'talk him and Din out of it, "'even appeal to Gowan, "'who reluctantly listened to his Moorish compatriot. "'But they all said the same thing. "'Cora was too valuable, "'her gifts too important. "'Nervous, yes. Emory was terrified.' As he paced down the long hallway toward the common room, he scratched his stubble, feeling how icy his fingers were. It was a good thing he wouldn't have to play music. He hoped the instruments would be safe, so long as the oak didn't set fire to the ranch. But Emery had taken one small instrument with him, the only one able to fit in his pocket, and the one with the most recent memory, the Ocricks. He felt for it again in the inner pocket of his cloak, and he smiled thinking of Nesme's peaceful room and how, if he could, he might see if Ez would allow him to return to the knitting some day, if they were all to live. "'As timely as the rain,' said the priest, when he spotted Emery. Redmond had cleaned up surprisingly well, replacing his beaten leather duster with something more refined—black buck with brass rivets and a scrollwork pattern on the bottom—a gift from Aunt C, no doubt.' Few at the ranch were tall enough to fit the cast-offs from her departed husband, and Renman and Emery were of a height. I feel, uh, Emory said, pulling at his collar, a little odd. At very least, you'll make an impression. There is that. Now, said Renman, beckoning Mesmer over. The boy looked scrubbed clean as well, and Emory noticed he carried a particularly impressive pair of silvered guns. His face tattoo was disconcerting as ever, but Emery gave him a smile anyway. The night continued as they meandered through the dispersing crowd. "'We're going to play this by ear. See how the events unfold. You can feel it in the air, can't you?' Emery nodded. "'They've scaled the first two hills and are positioning themselves to our direct south. There's a lot of them, but from what our scouts see, very little in the way of unusual artillery. That's good.' Their airships are large enough to transport men and horses, not to mention cannons. But I'm not counting them out entirely. They're shrewd when they want to be, even if we have their mastermind here with us. Do you think they're going to try and release our captives? Asked Emery, who was still trying to make sense of the tactical details. It depends if they get through or not. Gowans have them move to an undisclosed location. He'll be keeping guard for a while, so long as things don't get too disastrous too quickly. Continued the priest-knight as they walked through the threshold and across the courtyard. Emory thought he caught flashes of some of the women who had arrived from a nearby brothel, sharpshooters according to more than one source. They were positioned high up in the rafters of the barn, on the roof, on the terraces, draped in brown and green blankets. One of the shooters, positioned at the edge of the masonry fence, let go three shots in quick succession. It's starting," said Runman, and Emery felt a chill as the night smirked. Right, said Emory. So, I stay with you? For a while, yes. Renman was narrowing his eyes, looking for someone, perhaps, when he spotted Sally Din. The wrinkles on his face relaxed, and the crafty smile gave way to a softer one. She approached him, her spurs jingling with every purposeful step. Emery had never seen such a powerful woman in all his life. It wasn't that she was tall or muscular. It was only that she gave the impression of it that every perceptible move she made was planned and orchestrated with precise detail. "'So he was surprised when Renman wrapped his arms around her waist "'and they began kissing passionately, hands roaming unfettered. "'They do this,' Masmer said simply. Our retinies are getting split up. "'She's going along the western flank, "'hoping to command from a back a little better than here. "'That's why they're keeping Gowan back, too.' "'A surprise,' he said. "'We're still outnumbered,' said Emery, "'looking down at the slight territory's boy. "'He had very large teeth for that round little head.' and its eyes looked like lamplights. "'Doesn't mean much,' said Mesmer with a shrug. "'I believe, Renman. "'He's seen that it doesn't have to be this way. "'Not if you do your part. "'I've seen it, too, in a dream, when I visited the mountain.'" Emery swallowed, and what little saliva he had barely coated his throat. "'I'm working on it. "'Sometimes you just have to think that you can. "'Like a song,' said Mesmer his eyes unfocused as he continued to stare at Renman and Din, who were, but for their clothes, as close to the act of making as Emory had ever seen. "'You think of it first in your head before you sin, and then, sometimes, you can sing it better, because it's almost like you done it once.' "'But what if you don't know how the song goes?' Emory asked, surprised to garner such insight from the boy. "'You make it up.' Mesmer grinned toothily, and by now Renman had detangled himself from Sally Din, He grabbed her arm one last time, pulled her to him, and kissed. When Brick heard the alarm sound, a triple shot from one of the sharpshooters, he started toward the apartment where Ander and the dying Jesper and Doc Haley were being kept. His stomach had gone cold and he shivered a little. He'd already said goodbye to Lark, awkwardly and uncomfortably, and she was under Gresham's protection now. He'd have to trust whatever it was that ruled this world— gods, love, stags, strange visions or chaos— he didn't know— to take care of her where he could not. Gowan met up with him, and just as they were about to enter the apartments with another three nights and pages, he heard a voice behind him. It was Cora Gray, of course. Who else would it be? She was wearing men's clothes now— but the effect was no less stunning on her figure. He'd lusted after her for good reason in vel, even if he'd never gotten past a kiss. She was flushed as if from crying, and a few steps behind her stood the sib, dressed in a darker version of what she now wore, with a long, burnt brown duster. Brick, before you go, she said, coming closer to him. She was pulling off one of her gloves, and there were tears in her eyes. I don't... I don't want this to end badly. I have to... I have to tell you something cora listen whatever it is don't matter all right brick said she was within arm's reach now but she wasn't looking up into his eyes her hat shaded most of her face but he could still see tears escaping traveling gently down her cheeks and falling on her leather vest i just i never told you she said looking up now her lips were chapped peeling from the sun and she had dark circles under her eyes dark enough that they almost looked like bruises gods he would have spared her the pain if he'd had enough strength in his own heart tell me what cora we ain't got i loved you she said speaking the words through a sigh i loved you (laughs) i really did i never stopped hoping that you'd rescue me that you'd find me and whisk me away cora please and then i gave up hope I closed that part of my heart, did everything I could to convince myself it was childish and stupid, that it was a romance of youth and not worthy of my time. But I lied to myself even then, because every time someone said your name, I wanted to scream, to die, thinking you were dead, or worse, with the oak. She wasn't just sad. She was furious. Listen, Cora, I... Then I did see you again, and it was worse than I ever imagined. "'Something broke you, Brick, and you won't share with me. "'You won't let me in. "'What is it that you've done that is so terrible? "'You have frused me the knowledge, "'even when you know we're headed to our deaths?' she asked, stalking even closer. "'He could feel her breath on him. "'Cora—' "'Sometimes things are best left in the dark,' Ez said, over her shoulder. "'Hale looked concerned. "'Hale's features tight and pale. "'I told you, nothing good can come of this.' Don't I deserve to know? Cora demanded, pushing forward. Can't you give me that, at least? No. He couldn't. He couldn't think the words. Cora, i made with your sister. She came to me crying, begging. She was terrified. Someone in town had touched her and... He thought, but he could not say. He couldn't let her know. Not now. So instead, he said, I'm in love with someone else. She opened her mouth slightly, and though she looked as if she would speak again, she did not. She shook her head and said, Fine, then this is how we pause. And she left, Ez trailing helplessly behind her. She didn't believe him. Damn her. Brickley, It was Gowan, red-faced and irritated. Get over here. We've prisoners to attend to, unless you want to waste your time. He gestured toward Cora. The first wave of boys, Cora thought, would be the easiest. She would patch them up, and they would go on. But she was wrong. When her second patient died on her, a page named Yuri, he'd been weeping like a child, and had only asked that she hold him. His companion, another asp page named Joseph, stared at his friend as he went pale, then rigid. Yuri coughed and sputtered, clots of blood trickling down his chin, mingling with tears. Then he was gone. "'He came up so fast,' Joseph said. "'He was a little older than Brick, "'his beard almost grown in, "'with slate-gray eyes and half his face "'a mess of rocks and blood. "'We were holding ground well. "'The shooters, Salvia's girls, "'they thinned the group out considerable, "'and we thought we'd had the advantage.' "'He started to weep, "'and trying to hide it, looked away from Cora. "'Then Yuri got shot, in the leg first, "'and I helped drag him off. "'I saw the second string coming in, "'and we staggered up the hill a little ways "'before I slipped.' That's... that's when they got him again. Cora was staring at her hands, touching her fingertips together, tacky with Yuri's blood, trying to imagine the scene. The wind had picked up, and the gunfire hadn't ceased for the last turn. Every few ticks it would silence and her heart would leap, hoping to hear the cries of victory. But nothing. Just more shouts. More fire. She had a map with her, and she smeared a bloody finger across the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd battalions, that would mean they were going to be within firing range very soon if some of these boys didn't get moving again. Their plan was desperate, but essential. They had to give Emory time. "'Are you hurt anywhere other than your face, Joseph?' Cora asked, trying to wipe the blood off her hands, but unable to get it all. "'No, ma'am, just—' She put her hand to his face, took a deep breath, and felt the stir of her healing power in her breast, flickering like a small flame. But it burned, too. It hurt. The last three had hurt, kindling her own sorrow and despair. "'You have to go back out,' she said, brushing his face where she'd touched it. It was dirty and scabbed, but no longer raw. He touched his face thoughtfully. "'But I—' "'You took an oath,' she said, feeling her heart harden as she said the words. "'If you don't go back out there, then you're admitting that what Yuri did was in vain.' "'I'm just afraid of going back,' said Joseph." Find your superior. Talk to him. But I don't know where Sir Zorva is, said Joseph, breaking down into tears again. Then find him. There are other dying people I need to attend to. She stared at him until he met her eyes again. He gurgled a noise that might have been an affirmative, and then headed for the door, adjusting his hat and checking his guns. She did not see Joseph again. For one blessed moment, it seemed that no more wounded were coming in, and those she had attended to were resting, mostly. A few moaned. There were limits to what she could do, she had found. No heal was perfect, and it was a good thing that Ez was there to continue administering clean bandages and poultices. "'You're bleeding,' said the sib, coming up behind Cora as she scrubbed her hands in the washbasin. "'No, it just—' "'Let me see your hands.' Cora tried to conceal her hands from Ez, but Hale leveled her a look likely to stop a bullet midair. When she turned her hand's palm up, Hale's eyes widened. They were cracked raw, blistering near the edges as if her own healing was diminishing. When did this first start to happen? asked Ez. The first death, she said, the words, the guilt rising in her, threatening to choke her. I, I noticed some of the others that I'd healed. After a time— The scabs don't seem to hold so well. Cora, listen to me, Ez said, taking her gently by the shoulders, steadying her. It felt good, like she was being planted, cared for. You need to pace yourself, or else you're not going to last. They're not going to last, either. What's the point? She whispered harshly. I can only heal them to send them out to die again. You're giving them a second life, and you're surprising the enemy, who likely thought they'd rid them of this world. "'Ez continued. "'Now, I want to make sure you're eating and drinking. "'Why don't you sit down for a while, and I'll let you sleep?' "'Not likely. "'Rest, at least. "'Eat. "'Drink. "'Right.' "'Ez sighed, taking her hand in chaos, "'gently rubbing some of the salve Hare had made into her palm. "'She winced, feeling the cool sensation seeped into her cracked hands, "'but it was comforting to feel Hare's skin on hers. "'Got some more coming in!' Someone shouted as an explosion rocked the side of the building, shaking the foundation so that cement dust trickled from the ceilings and door jams. Shite, said Ez. They're through. Get me my gun, said Cora. She caught Jem's eye across the room and nodded. We're not letting them in here. Explosion was close, and Brick leaned over the window, moving the shade just slightly. The infirmary. He could see smoke rising from it, plumes of black and gray billowing and churning, then ceasing in a slow, diminishing cloud. But he couldn't see any sign of Oaksgard, nor could he note anything they might have used to drop such a powerful weapon. Cora was there, and he felt ill just thinking about it. Leave it, Gowan said. He was sitting in an armchair, across from Brick, "'a long shotgun poised across his thighs. "'But she's in the part of the infirmary, "'and it's not burning. "'It just broke the side of the building apart, "'likely the back portion, "'which would be empty rooms intended for overflow. "'Right,' said Brick, trying to calm himself. "'There's nothing to... "'But something sounded, high and clear, "'a horn of some sort, six, no, seven notes, "'a melody, a warning.' "'Gowan got to his feet.' I'm going out. What, sir? He glared down at Brick. You stay here. I'll be right back. But what was that? Danger. Gowan made a clatter going down the stairs to the first floor, and Brick lingered a moment, hoping the night would return in a few heartbeats. But he didn't. There was exchanged gunfire, nearby, and he slumped back down into the chair. Two of the three captives were unconscious, and Brick didn't think Jesper was going to make it. For one... "'He stunk. He refused medicine when he was coherent, "'and screamed curses or slept when he wasn't. "'The doc was sleeping soundly, snoring even. "'He'd said nothing. "'Ander, however, never seemed to be sleeping when Brick was around, "'and it was disconcerting and downright creepy. "'Why don't you just leave us, Brick, "'and go and fight alongside your valiant brethren,' said Ander, "'smooth and silky as always. "'The time without a shower had given the pristine night "'a somewhat muted air.' "'but Brick honestly didn't give two figs. "'Brick did not answer him. "'He knew better than that. "'I can keep talking, "'unless you can figure out how to gag me with one hand,' "'offered the knight. "'Shut your mouth. "'Such hostility at the brink of your death! "'A shame. "'You can stop with the whole—' "'Brick waved his good hand in the air, "'hoping the motion would dislodge the word from his brain. As, "'Yeah.' "'Ander sighed, slumping slightly. He was in a position chained by handcuffs to the side of a very heavy iron bed that he couldn't sit or stand comfortably in. That had been Gresham's idea. The man had a surprisingly devious streak. Another explosion sounded, this time close enough to feel the impact. Brick startled, ducking down at the window. Where was Gowan "'Those are steam-propelled missiles,' said Ander, gently, as if coaxing a foal from its stall. "'Highly advanced, incredible distance.' Our airships have the cannons built straight into them, and if in range, which is considerable, the result is rather impressive. The spray of shrapnel alone... Shut up. Trying to see through the plume of smoke and debris, Brick chewed on his bottom lip. What did Gawain expect him to do? Hold down the fort as it crumbled around him? He'd die with the captives. You don't have to listen to Gawain, you know. He could be dead, dying. You can leave us. I don't trust you. "'What am I going to do?' asked Ander, and Brick turned abruptly as he noticed the strain in the man's voice. "'Jesper's dead. Doc is dying. You think I could possibly make it through your enemy lines in one piece?' "'Doubtful. We're not safe here. If you let me go, no.' Ander drew a deep breath, pressing his lips together after, as if the action prevented him from speaking unnecessarily. Then he said, "'I know you despise me, and you ought to, but I saved your life, Brick.' "'I did what no one else would.' "'You cut off my fecking hand,' bellowed Brick, "'leveling the pistol he carried at Ander. "'He disengaged the safety, but grimaced a bit. "'Holding it in his right hand was still awkward, "'as if he were doing everything backwards. "'Gowan had assured him that with time he would be able to lose it again, "'but that was still up for debate. "'Brick doubted he would live long enough to know that anyway. "'The stunner would have killed you. "'Your brains would have leaked out of your ears, you fecking idiot!' "'Ander shouted back. "'If I hadn't acted, you'd be either dead or a gibbering shell of a man. "'You should thank me.' "'Brick hit him hard across the mouth of the butt of his gun, "'and the Oaks guard spit blood. "'Fantastic,' he said, letting loose a tooth amidst the blood and saliva. "'Don't you speak to me,' Brick threatened. "'Fine. "'Then I will die in silence, and you will die wondering what you could have done "'to help prevent the slaughter of your fellow Asp guard,' said Ander coolly. "'Brick looked out the window.' trying to ignore him, but his voice continued, and he couldn't dispute that he had had a point. If they were going to die, he'd much rather know that he'd done more than play wet nurse. "'I would appeal to your honorable side, Brick,' said Ander, and when he turned around to look, Brick noticed he had tears in his eyes. "'I do not wish to die consigned to the flames.' "'Tell me what happened in Vel, and I'll let you go,' said Brick. "'Cora, my friend, she survived.' She told me if I had the chance, I ought to put a bullet through your head. Ander's eyes narrowed at her name, and he sighed. What did you do to her? I appeal to your honorable sad, he said. I swear, if you lie to me, I'll... I frightened her. I grabbed her, said Ander, moving his shoulders. Brick knew from recent experience how uncomfortable his position was, but it didn't affect him or garner his pity. It wasn't enough. And her sister... "'Ander grinned. "'She was a different story. "'She seemed all but infatuated with me. "'She told me she was experienced in the ways of love. "'That's a fecking lie.' "'Brick's hand was trembling, and sweat dripped into his eyes. "'He would kill Ander. He had to. "'He couldn't listen to anything more. (sighs) "'She told me there was a certain young man in town "'she had a great affection for,' said Ander, "'tears still in his eyes. "'I know why she told me. "'She was afraid.' "'afraid of us, afraid that we'd take something from them "'that we couldn't give back. "'She was just saying it to keep herself safe. "'The secret had grown rings. "'As to the rest,' continued the oak guard, "'glancing over at Doc, who was still unconscious. He had been right about Jesper. "'The man was no longer breathing, "'half reclined against the wall "'and pale as only death could be. "'We have a Summoner in our ranks, "'a page, a child,' She can do terrifying things, but usually in control. She's six years old. Jasper would tell her to think of unspeakable things, of death and destruction, fires and hatred, and she'd start to command the earth. She had to, or he promised to find her family. In Vell, the thing she summoned, it wouldn't stop screaming. It drove us all mad. I don't believe you. You don't have to. What dying? What motivation could I possibly have for withholding the truth? Brick, what reason do I have to lie to you? You're a shite bag, that's enough reason. He didn't want to believe Ander, but he found that in spite of his better reasoning it was working. He believed him. I've reconciled to the fact that I'm going to die here, but for what it's worth to you, regarding the attacks in Vell and Barnett, it had never happened like that before with Molly. "'She's the child. "'She only inspired a kind of severity in us. "'But we could not control it. It said in the days before the collision, summoners would lay flat an entire army, "'inspire them through their actions "'and command the spirit of the realm. "'Except with Jesper's control it was perverted. "'And the poor girl. "'I just don't want to die with this on my soul. "'Where is she?' asked Brick. "'They keep her far behind the lines.' and she took off for the oak on the white wave. She has the most beautiful room on the ship. So she's back. Likely. And they'll use her, even if it means slaughter. Brick started for the door and paused, looking back at Ander. He could kill him. He should kill him. If it starts to burn, I'll come get you, Brick said. If not, the oak will set you free. Brick! I don't believe you. Brick lied, but I won't let you burn to death in here. I'm just going to go down and check on Gawain. Then I'll be back. Brick, stop! Wait! But Brick turned away and walked down the stairs, hoping that the gunfire would drown out Anders' shrieking. Chapter Thirty FIRE AND RAIN Renman led Emory up and across, so they were positioned to the south of the north flank, where Din and her retinue were positioned. They had pressed far enough that the oak were now swarming Vizina Ranch itself. Gunfire and explosion, the latter coming from where Emory couldn't tell, interrupted everything including thinking. He was literally shaking in his boots. They had good cover, a crop of land and a fallen oak tree. You see how narrow this passage is, said Renman indicating the ridge to their left that led from the ranch itself and up to where Din awaited. Emory had seen a dozen faces he recognized, face up in the dirt, bleeding everywhere, as they'd carefully made their way up. "'The ridge is the key,' said Renman. "'Din knows another way down, but there ain't no other way up. They're going to come through, packed tight, and if you can just move the soil—' "'Move what?' "'With your power,' Renman continued, clear and calm. Oldest trick in the books for a speaker. As spirits go, Earth's just about the most quiet. Doesn't usually argue, like fire or wind, not so fickle. Low tones, nothing fancy. You sound insane, Emory said. Renman ignored Emery, tugging down on his sleeve. Mesmer fidgeted. If that ground fails, continued the knight, they'll all go tumbling down the side of the mountain, and the main force won't make it up to the ranch. Now, we let some through already, but the bulk of their men are approaching— They're going to think the ridge is secure, but it ain't. Right. What the feck was Emery supposed to do? Did this really hinge on him? Renman spoke as if it were the most simple task in the world. Just command the earth to do your bidding. Sit back and enjoy a warm cup of broth. Gods, Emery felt like vomiting. Not long now. Emery took a deep breath and felt the awkrix in his pocket. He removed it, brushing his hands over the smooth surface— noting how white it seemed in the bright afternoon sunlight. "'What are you—' "'I don't know what I'm doing,' said Emery, turning the instrument over in his hands and then blowing experimentally. "'But I can't rely on my voice. It just doesn't seem plausible. And if you think the spirits of the earth will respond to my will, well, they'll have to respond to this too, because gods know I can't think straight right now.' "'Whiskey?' offered Renman. "'Sure,' Emory took a swig and then caught movement toward the ranch. Then he recoiled as the side of the house they were using as the infirmary caught fire. The flames kindled quickly, flickering tongues billowing vast pillars of smoke. Gods, Cora was in there. The wounded boys were in there. If the infirmary burned, she'd go down in flames. and death so horrifying, there was no way even she could be healed. Oh, feck, said Renman. Emory stood up and Renman tried frantically to get him to sit down, but he wasn't listening. Maybe Cora and everyone were bound to die, but he couldn't live with himself knowing that he hadn't tried, and crouched down was making his legs cramp anyway. He took a deep breath and put the oryx to his lips and played a melody as he watched the fire, low with intervals in minor mode. He would do whatever he could, but it became very clear quite quickly that Earth was not the spirit he commanded. The fire from the infirmary started to coil like a writhing molten snake. Bits of the infirmary rose. The roof, a window, other detritus, into the sky, whirling and folding in on itself. Beautiful. Deadly. It won't stay long, thought Emery, without something to burn. That's when the Order of the Oak appeared, their dust rising behind them, hearts in their flanks. Every man once a child, a mother's son. He thought this, knowing full well what he would do, what horror he would wreak on them to save the life of his love, if even only to delay her death. He felt the fire burn through him, though it did not touch him. With one hand he continued to play the Ocarix, and with the other he commanded the fire down, down, whirling now like a vortex, the sound of thundering crackling din. Down it came, over man and horse, gun and saddle. With new fuel the flames burned and burned, Men threw themselves off their horses, the animals panicking, running into the forest, setting trees ablaze. It was raining fire. Holy gods, muttered Renman, standing beside Emory now. Men fell down the ridge, screaming, the smell of charred meat, man and horse, filling the air with their cries. Bullets flew, and they ducked down again. Emory stopped playing, but it continued to burn. Rain clouds were coming. Fast from the south. The fighting continued intermittently, and someone shouted, You did it, said Renman. You fecking did it. Then, thunder from the north as Din's retinue rode past, filling the courtyard, spilling in with fury and gunfire, rested and ready. Cora had almost run out of ammunition and ducked back behind the window to take a deep breath. She'd lost track of how many men had been hit by her bullets but it was more than she could reckon for on one hand. For one terrifying moment, she thought that the whole infirmary was going up in flames, but something strange had happened. A huge crack from the floor above them, and some of the men and women inside being tended to started crying out, screaming. Then it stopped. The roar of the fire dissipated, and when she looked up, there was no more smoke. But it didn't matter, because she could see oaks and hearts pouring into the courtyard. And then, they were set afire. And Sally Din was leading a charge. Professor was there behind Din, shooting at the sides and the rear. And Aunt C was mounted and had her guns blazing too. They're retreating! Shouted her voice. It was Brick who shouted it. He had been scouting the perimeter of the rent when he first noticed the ships moving slightly. Then he saw it was true. What knights had not yet been dispatched were returning to the airships. At least two hundred were boarding. That's when an explosion so deafening sent him face down in the loamy ground. It was white light, and then blackness, as if the sun itself had eclipsed a moment. The world fell silent. Then, there were screams. Emery's world went dark. Sally Din flew off her horse, a bullet between her eyes. Lee Renman collapsed behind Mesmer Gimble. The Order of the Oak boarded their ships and slowly vanished on the horizon. had been washed of its colors. Everything was black and white and red while her eyes adjusted. She did a careful once over. She was fine. Cold and numb, but she was fine. Someone was shouting, and those who had survived the blast were rushing men and women to the infirmary, pushing Cora aside. So many bloody people. Gods, she didn't have the strength in her. She searched for Ez, who was helping rearrange the beds, and Haya gave her a tight-lipped smile. "'Jem was nearby, having returned from guarding the back entrance. "'We won,' said Sir Welleran, as he passed Cora and kissed her on the cheeks. "'He was crying and bleeding from his shoulder. "'A bullet wound, but if attended to, he would live. "'Thank the gods, Lady Grey, but we won.' "'What happened?' she asked, moving out of the way as more and more wounded were brought in or limped in themselves. "'We're going to need to use the stables,' shouted Ez, as people continued to move in. "'Isn't enough room in here?' Let me through. It was Aunt C, carrying the limp body of Professor in her arms. She looked like a small, pale child with crooked specks. She's the lost one in, said Cora, as fiercely as she could. One glance at Professor, though, and she knew she was alive. Bleeding, likely. Wounded. But she was still breathing. Take her to Ez. Cora knew in a gentle world she should be crying, but she had fully expected failure and death to come to everyone this in some strange way felt like a miracle. When the doorway cleared and she looked past it, that's when she saw Lee Renman cradling the body of Sally Din in his arms, rocking back and forth, racked with sobs. She felt her heart squeezing with despair, but she looked away. She hadn't known the woman, but could see the love the night had for her. Their lives had all been bought with such a cost. Did you see the speaker? asked Weller "'wiping his cheek with the back of his grubby hand. He, "'He summoned flames. "'You should see the horror that way. "'Bodies and, and horses and—' so Wellerin. please,' said Cora, steadying herself in the threshold. "'I'm sorry. You'll excuse me, milady. "'Wait,' said Cora. "'Find all the men you can who are in good enough shape "'to help the wounded. There are so many. "'We need hot water, clean rags, and a variety of herbs. "'When you get them mobilized, speak to Jem and Ez, "'and they'll give you a list of what they need to make salves.' And gather as much whiskey as you can manage. Yes, my lady. Cora turned, looking at the writhing mass of wounded men before her, and felt as if she would faint herself. It smelled of excrement and piss, of blood and of death. Her hands were cracking, but seemed to have improved slightly. Whatever that white light had been, it had not injured her so far as she could see. Cora! Cora, please come help! It was Mesmer Gimble and he could barely speak for crying. Mesma, I have a whole room full of wounded men, and it's Emery. Brick found us. He's got something. Mesmer's lips were trembling, and he tried to indicate what he meant. He touched his head near the temple. He was near the blast when it happened, and something struck there. In his head. But he's still alive. God, it's terrible. I don't want to move him. Brick? Brick's alive, said Cora. Emery had gone down not far from the fountain, just a handful of paces from where Renman still sat with Sally Din. She knelt down and examined him gently. His mouth was slack, especially on one side, and that concerned her. Cora had seen her groom, Elmer, get kicked in the head by a horse once. He'd lost the feeling throughout half his body, and his face never worked properly after that. He'd had a perpetual drool and a most unreadable disposition. Most of Emery's hair was stiff with blood, Darkening the light, tousled hair beyond recognition. Reaching down, she took his hand in hers and squeezed gently. She should have forgiven him. Truly. Brick looked grim but distracted. I've got to see if I can find Gowan, he said. Go ahead, Cora obliged. If you find him, tell him to get to the infirmary. We need all the hands we can have. Brick nodded and departed. How long has he been like this? she asked Mesmer. The boy shrugged. Long enough. Can't you do anything? I can try. Taking a breath that was much shakier than she had hoped, Cora closed her eyes and concentrated, trying to go deeper into herself. She placed her hands on each side of Emery's face, one side slick with blood, and wheeled herself to learn what she could about his condition. It was as if she opened a second set of eyes then. The giddy thought of a lizard's second eyelids flashed in her memory for a moment, but then left. Her new eyes moved over his body, and she saw in an intricate detail the heart beating slowly beneath his breast, the blood scattering through tiny veins, transporting what it could as more and more was lost. She noted the nerves, their web-like tendrils reaching from fingertip to brain and back again, charged with the effort of registering so much pain. And she could feel the pain, a constant searing that obliterated all other feeling. Only swooning had saved him from knowing that kind of pain. Something was broken, too. A rib, she thought. And something else. And then, the brain. Yes, she could see it beneath the skull. Bruised and battered, she thought, but it looked... fine. Though she couldn't recall studying a human brain much. In her schooling, she dissected a pig once, and the brain had been grey and wrinkly, much like this one. But something was wrong. He would die. I can't get it out. Just... Give me a moment. I shouldn't be doing this, she thought. He's supposed to die. Her healer's eyes looked deeper, as if she put a new lens over a spyglass, and she was further into him. At the center of him was a dark spot. She didn't have a name for it, but only understood it as the beginning of death. It was spreading, gradually gaining ground as he lost more blood and more damage was done. One by one, all his organs would stop functioning, and he would be gone. She would have to bury him here, far from his home, alone. "'You can choose to do this,' came a voice. "'But with all choices, there are consequences. "'You could very well bring more danger upon your friends. "'Is that what you want?' "'No,' she said to the other voice. "'I just can't let him die. "'Not when he just saved us all.' "'You can choose to do this,' the voice said again, "'the edges of words clipped and cold.' but death does not like to be cheated. "'I'm not cheating,' she said as she pushed her hands to the center of his chest. Like peeling the layers of a desert onion, she found the black spot and removed it, though she knew she did not use her hands. The entire operation was occurring on some other level she herself did not rightfully understand. As she grappled with the darkness, she felt pain burning inside her womb. At first, she thought it was just her courses. But the pain grew and grew, reverberating up into her lungs and down her back. Her muscles tightened against the shocks of pain, but she grit her teeth to bear it. Then it was over. The darkness had fled, and she knew what she had to do. The piece of metal had embedded itself in his skull, a scant sliver between it and his brain. The wrong move would be disastrous, but having come this far, she refused to give up. She could see now how it would be done. She only needed to put enough pressure on the edge of the shrapnel, which was about the length and width of a deck of cards, if a deck of cards had been hewn out of rough iron and crusted around the edges. All her own sensation drifted away, and once again it was as if she were a giant eye looking down upon a map. She followed the path she knew would take her right, up to an arm, down the neck, the side of the head, and here. That's where she had to push. Mesma, do you have a needle? she asked. Mesmer nodded and run through one of his satchels. A moment later, he procured a small needle. No thread, though, he said. His large, luminous eyes regarded her with surprise. Cora ripped at the edge of her vest and pulled one of the long strands out that held the leather together. The wind was blowing, but she could not feel it. She only saw what she had to do. Dousing her fingers in the whiskey and dredging the needle through it, a method Renman had taught, She then gently pressed her fingers around the wound. Some spots appeared to her as red, others too blackened by dried blood to tell. Then, as Emery started to stir from his swoon, she slid the sharp metal chunk out of his skull, a fresh flow of blood covering her hands like water from a spring. Swiftly, she pulled the thread through Emery's flesh, stitching a neat row even Jem would have been proud to see. His skin fit together well, but he would carry an ugly scar when it healed. If it healed. Cora, they need you in here, Ez was calling from the door of the infirmary. Hea needed her too. Come help me. We need to move Emery. Is he I don't know, Ez. I just don't know. It was to be the longest day of Cora's life. A turn later, Brick found Gowen standing by a tree, looking out at the horizon, his face grim and set. Relief flooded over him. Gowan was not dead. He was standing, and without any major wounds, save the fact he'd wrapped his forearm up with a bandage. "'It's not over,' said Gowen, before Brick had even announced himself. "'What's the tally?' "'Tally, sir? How many left?' Half the sharpshooters. Wellerin and Zorva. I saw them. Sulphus, too. Joseph's dead. And Yuri. I'd say we lost a third. Lady Vizina's lost more servants, and... Gowan turned around, staring. Who else? Din, sir. Sally Din. The sigh Gowan heaved was so full of sorrow, Brick began to get choked up again. And... And the bard, Emery. Dead? asked Gowan, eyes widening. No, not yet, just. Brick explained what he had seen, the explosion, how it had sprayed shrapnel everywhere, taking out two dozen in its wake. Cora's attended to him. Good, we'll need him. We have him to thank for this. Mostly. But something isn't right. He paused. And the captives? "'I sent Sir Sulphus to see them. "'I left him, worried that, that he'd fallen. "'But I learned—well, I learned the truth. Redmond was right. "'They have a summoner.' "'Oh?' asked Gowan, turning to Brick, sizing him up. "'Her name is Molly. "'She's six. "'Jesper, he's dead now, sir. "'Commanded her to call. "'Spirits, I guess, from the earth. "'Spirits of death, of war?' He tried to explain as best he could how what she had done in Vell and Barnett had unleashed something horrifying, something that the Oak couldn't control, setting them mad. The Red Knight frowned into his chin and shook his head. Magic is always dangerous, even more so when wielded by fecking idiots. Gods, what did they do? Brick watched Gowan as he turned back, staring at the horizon. There was still time left in the day, but not much. Soon the sun would set, and tomorrow it would rise again, as if blood had never been shed before it. Something called those knights back, I know it. Something is wrong, Brick, and we must find out. But Renman's hell's bent on figuring out what's happened with the Aldersgate. After this, we're weakened. I don't know if we can survive another split. First, though, we heal. Let's get that armor yours fixed up. Brick! It was Sir Sulphus limping on her ankle she looked pale, frightened even the captives, they're gone Brick felt as if the ground had gone soft and thought a moment he might faint how in the hells? they can't have gotten far, muttered Gowan. Brick thought he sounded much less angry than he should have the night even spared him a smile send out who you can yes sir Brick rubbed the spot where his hand had been now what do we do? Onward, Brickley. Onward we go. Well, this is the part where I'm supposed to say some hopefully profound things. But the more I think about it, the more I think that I'm going to actually wait till the end of the next podcast, which is an epilogue. This is, for all intents and purposes, the final chapter of Alderpod. So it is chapter 29. Um, but uh, there's sort of a lot rattling around in my head, and I think that this is a long enough podcast as it is. I, I do hope you enjoy it, and I hope that even though there are lots of loose ends, that you found the end satisfying. So that's what I will say to that end and uh, look for the next AlderPod coming within the next three weeks. I will be gone next week and unable to do podcasting, but I certainly really want to say that I appreciate everyone who has been along on this journey with my characters and with me. Sometimes being a writer is a lonely business and you live in the dark with lots of voices, but hearing the impact that the story has made on other people has been encouraging, not just for this story, but you know, as, as a writer, as someone who has just always wanted to tell stories from the very youngest of ages. So, uh, it certainly is very, very much appreciated. Keep tuning in. You can check my website for more information. Uh, when the next one comes through, it's, uh, aldersgatecycle.com. You can always hit me up on Twitter at Natanya Barron, as well as com. Thanks for listening. And I promise to be back soon. Ultrapod is written, produced, and performed by Natanya Barron under a Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial Share Alike 3.0 United States License.